0: Welcome to 242, a podcast of the Buffalo Vineyard Church, where we explore topics that are relevant to our lives as students of the way of King Jesus. This is episode number two. I'm going to be talking with my good friend Mark Harley again about art and faith. This time we explore art and worship. Uh, We also discuss a... um, artist and uh, iconographer named Jonathan Pagot, who makes the uh, astonishing claim that the future of art is liturgical, that all art in the future will be liturgical art. And we explore that idea and what that means. We talk about the powerful grip of art and film on our cultural imagination. We explore a few more sound effects, uh, but then we also talk about curiosity and the vocation of the Christian artist as one who helps us to be curious about the world that we live in. So, um, so we're actually going to be talking about art and faith again, and because um, I, I I enjoyed our conversation last time, I hope you did too. Mm-hmm. And um,
1: it was a little all over the place.
0: It was all over the place, Desire. but it was it was all over the place. I think in a lot of good directions, but yeah. there's more to talk about. And we actually wanted to start with a clip, and this is by um, just to set this up. So the the pod this is a podcast called The Symbolic World um, by a guy named Jonathan Pagot, who is a uh, French Canadian um, Orthodox Christian who is professionally an iconographer. He carves icons for the, um, the Orthodox, well, I'm, I'm sure his, his icons are probably used beyond just the Orthodox church, but he specifically, specifically creates icons within the, the Orthodox tradition. Um, but also has a lot to say about symbolism and art, um, from a deeply Christian perspective. And so there was a clip that I had shared with Mark earlier, and I don't know if we really, we didn't actually ever talk about the clip together. Mm -hmm. Um, so this, so we're going to listen to it. It's a two minute clip. Um, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, Anything else you want to say about it before I start the clip?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: All right, here we go. So for the three of us that are listening, (laughs) Amanda, are you paying attention?
2: (laughs) And so I think that in, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing, which is I think that we have to, liturgical art is the only real future for art And I say that people will think like, what a crazy thing to say in 2020 to say that liturgical art is the future of art, but it's because it's the template. It's Mm -hmm. because even though you don't understand, even though you don't know all the paintings you've ever looked at are connected to the history of Christian iconography, Mm -hmm. either reacting to moving away from referencing. If even if you don't know, it's all connected to that image making, it, even secular image making is connected to the manner in which the, the idea of the precious painting that you put up on your wall is directly connected to the notion of sacred art, even if it is a, a moving away from it or a kind of perversion of that idea. And so to me, the it was important just to go back and to reconnect and to rediscover the sacred language of art, not just for sacred art, but in order to now see the waves, let's say, See the waves go all the way into the secular culture. And I think that that's inevitable. Um, And if we don't do it, it's going to happen anyways. And I've been talking about this in several videos where people are taking popular culture and wanting to make it into sacred art because we have such a profound need for it. And so people treat Star Wars as if it's a religion, treat Harry Potter as if it's a religion, you know, uh, and, you know, use Let's say someone who get people get obsessed with like manga imagery or all these different or comic book imagery, all these different types of images and they become iconic to them. They, they, they see an image of, of Batman. Very close to how they imagine what a sacred image would be. And so what I, what I'd like, what I want people to understand is that if we don't recover our sacred art of the West and we don't let's say Recover the inner language of it, it's going to manifest itself in all kinds of crazy ways.
0: There you go. So, um maybe we could start just by remarking on what we heard that seemed noteworthy. Yeah. And then I'd love to hear your take on those things. Yeah. So, yeah, what are some of the things he said that you're like, okay, that matters? We should talk about that.
1: Uh, I'll, I feel like I'll, I'll, a couple of things. Um, it was pretty cool to hear him say, I, I don't think I'd ever heard anyone make the claim that liturgical art is the future of art. It seems that's pretty, I feel like that's pretty bold, but um, I feel like his, he backs it up in a pretty, um, I don't know, reasonable way, right? Like saying it's the, like defining it as the template of, of, uh, of most of our visual arts as that's kind of their origin. Right.
0: right. So he, in in essence, he says the future of all art is liturgical art because the past of all art is mm-hmm. liturgical art. I mean, in essence, that's what he was saying.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, that we talked a little bit about that in our last conversation about the history of the church in, um, and its role in art making, right? Like, We definitely
0: did that. I don't know that we necessarily did what I heard him doing, which is talking about not just the role of the church in creating art, mm-hmm. but how art is essentially rooted in our experience of the sacred. That seemed a little bit more specific
1: art is rooted in our experience of the sacred like he said. I mean that's kind of what I hear yeah.
0: again I'm using my language not his and if he was here he might tell me I'm wrong but yeah
1: no I think that's definitely right um yeah I would be curious what there's other, there's some other things in there too like certainly his definition or his examples he's using in culture like talking about and we talked we touched on this a little bit uh during our last conversation too of like uh, culture kind of like fracturing off and becoming mm-hmm. their own like making their own iconic imagery right? right like i think he talks about batman or something like that right like being like these sort of like contemporary versions of like sacred uh whatever sacred images right
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, i think that's certainly true what 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 stood out to you what made you because the context of this conversation is that you sent me this podcast in a text and said, listen to this two minute clip and let me know what you think. What made you, what made that stand out from the rest of the, of the conversation? You mean the rest of that podcast? Yeah.
0: yeah I mean, I think, so I like Jonathan Pajot and I didn't want to send you a two hour podcast sure. and say, listen to this and let's talk about it. And, uh, um, which I did, I listened to it all, which is great. I'm glad you did. But, but again, I, that's not fair to do to people. <laughs> Although I do have friends who do that to me. That's right. Um, and I have done that to my friends, <laughs> but yeah, so I, and I just listened to that, him say that. And he, you know, the clip starts with him essentially saying the future of all art is iconography. And I was mm. like, Hmm, my friend Mark has got to have a response yeah. to that. And then he kept going. And when he finished up with that last part, talking about how the way in which contemporary um, well individual Americans or Western people are engaging with art is very much today the way people historically have engaged with icons. Like mm-hmm. when he makes that point and then draws some specific parallels to, yeah. you know, like both. And, and I've heard him talk about Harry Potter and star Wars and other contexts where he talks about, I mean, there are actual religions that have been built up around those and it's hard to tell how much, the people participating in those religions are doing it with tongue in cheek and how much they're doing it legitimately. But there are actual like religious communities that have grown up around Harry Potter and star Wars. Yeah. No kidding. (laughs) So he points at that, but then also in this clip, you know, that, that like the idea that the way we see Batman is very much the way, you know, historically Christians would have looked at a picture of, you know, like an icon carving of like, St. John the Baptist, or something like that. And he's like, Yeah, that's pretty much what people are doing when they're hanging a poster of Batman on their wall is the same thing that the church was doing in putting a carving of, you know, whatever, Mary Magdalene on the wall. And it's the same thing.
1: That's a, and I think that's a really helpful thing to think about. You know, that's a really helpful sort of like lens at which to view our culture.
0: Yeah. And, and well, so, and I think what interests me about Pajot is, He, I think I've said this to you in in our last conversation, um, he has given me some tools and language to think about art and faith that have helped me to make sense of some of the feelings I've had or, or, or thoughts I've had over the years as Mm -hmm. somebody who is entering into this conversation, not as an artist, but as a pastor, yeah but, but care about it. And he's given me some tools to understand, but then you're the person that I'm like, but Mark's the real artist that I know who can, I mean, I know some other real artists too, but you're the one that I see several times a week. So I'm like, all right, Mark can help me understand if Peugeot is an idiot or if I'm an idiot or whatever. So anyway,
1: I don't know. Yeah, maybe I don't. And I I was listening back to our first conversation too. And I, I don't think I did a good enough job of actually explaining like who I am and why I care about this stuff. Mm. So I would like to take another crack at that too. Go for it. Who and, are you and why do you care about this? stuff? <laughs> like, so I, what I said before was that, you know, I went to art school and all that stuff. Right. But like, and, um, so I am not, I don't, I definitely am not like a practicing artist right now in, in any sort of sense. Um, but I'm definitely a, a very, a deeply creative person. Mm. And, um, I care a lot about art. I have many, many friends who are artists I uh, for uh, and I I mentioned this last time too that I for a number of years I was I was a working artist and I was working in the art world in and around New York and um, was very much just like in that world Um, and so that's sort of like my framework for this. I've since um, basically in my I I'm now working for Buffalo Vineyard Church, right? So I've I've certainly um, taken all of. And like, it, it feels like a linear type of experience, right? Like I'm using all of everything that I've learned through that experience to like now be working in this church environment. So the, the, this, uh, intersection of like art and faith is super interesting to me, not something, and not because I have all the answers, but because I've got a lot of questions and it's something that I'm just kind of engaging with on a daily basis, really. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Um there are artists within our church, right? Like there are, I can think of a couple of people, like right. two or three right off the top of my head, who are like, would define themselves as Christians, who would define themselves as artists as well. And maybe some of them are making more specifically like Christian art. Some of them are making just art, but they're also Christians and their faith is informing them. It's just this incredibly complex dynamic. I think specifically in America, right? Yeah. Like there is that. And, and if, for all the reasons that Jonathan Pejo points out, in that little clip, mm-hmm. like there's this kind of fracture that's happened. Um, and I think it's a, uh, I, I went through that process of, um, you know, I, have I've felt that tension, uh, certainly while I was in art school, um, really trying to reconcile some of those tensions between like feeling, really feeling like you had to, and, and, and seasons or periods of time where you had to choose kind of like, okay, it, it was feeling apparent, like, wow, to be like a successful artist in America is like really to not be, a, not be a Christian artist, you know, really feeling those types of things and trying to figure out why that is, you know?
0: So I think Pajot, and I definitely am putting words into his mouth, but yeah. I think it's worth saying this. He, The way I have understood his story is he felt that same tension that you sure. you, you either have to be an artist that's not a Christian artist like you can't do both at the same time. Yeah. And basically his response to that was, I'm just going to go be an icon carver for the Orthodox Church. Right.
1: Yeah. So like I'm actually looking at some of his work now. And like, I think it would be helpful to describe what his work looks like, which is that it is these kind of incredible carvings of, they look very traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are also things that he does. But beautiful like, too. Yeah. Very beautiful. Um, very mystical. Mm-hmm. Right. I would definitely use that, that word to describe these. Um,
0: and I should say, I like his carvings, but mm -hmm. I actually like some of his prints and drawings Mm -hmm. even more just stylistically. That's more attractive to me. I don't know.
1: Yeah. It it looks kind of like some of those, if you were to like, um, like, and we talked about this a little bit last time too, of, uh, when, like when you study art history, some of those first paintings are, are some of these early Christian paintings have these really incredible, like mystical value, like mystical type of, uh aesthetic to him Mm -hmm. you know and these i feel like his work kind of summons that back you know these kind of mysterious symbols and things like that right uh, that are that are related to the early church so it's very it's cool work and it it makes sense why he would be talking about some of these things and and um yeah i don't know so I, i just think it would be good to talk about what his work looks like um yeah
0: well, so if you're one of the three people listening to this there podcast, go. Google Jonathan, Jonathan Pajot, <laughs> do an image search, and check some of that out.
1: That's right. We should we should talk to him about it.
0: That'd be fantastic. Yeah, I yeah. Bet we could get him. I think he's a. I think he's above our, our pay grade right at this point. Yeah, I don't know how. <laughs> many people be our are goal. Listening. Yeah, That'll right. Our that's goal. that's our goal. This podcast has officially arrived when we interview Jonathan Pajot. That's right. All right. Cool. Well, so, so do you feel like you've answered the question, who are you and why do you care about this? I think so. Yeah. Do you think so? Yeah, for okay. sure. I mean, I just would point out that you may, you may not be a practicing artist, yeah. but you are a practicing art educator. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's one of your many. About, yeah. You're like, I'm going to make sure Steve understands art.
1: I care a lot about, I care a lot about art. I care a lot about artists and I care a lot about how, um, I feel like, like I care a lot about how the church engages in that space in a way that's actually good. Yeah. Right. Like I I definitely carry, I I care a lot about that. Um, And you and I've had, that's kind of the basis of some Mm -hmm. of our conversations, you know?
0: No, I would say, so if you think about the kind of like a dozen or so sectors of human life, so like education, business, art, um, I don't know, you know, food, like just some of these different aspects of kind of human endeavor. I think they all matter and they all matter to God and God wants, you know, deeply devoted Christians engaged in all of those areas of life, thinking about how the church can be engaged in redeeming and restoring and advancing his kingdom in those places. Mm -hmm. So I think there isn't an area of work that isn't important, but I do think that the two things that I, maybe I should just say that I care a lot about or see the value in personally. One is art. The other is, is business. Um, but art is definitely one of them. And art is something I don't necessarily have a lot of personal experience with or expertise in, but I I very much see the value of it for the church in, I guess, in some ways, it's it's like broadly speaking, like evangelism and mission. It's like yeah. there's, there's some real, there's power there for the church to engage with culture that we are not tapping into in any way that to me seems uh, as effective as we could be. Mm-hmm. And that's, so I see that and I care about that, but I also recognize like, I'm not the person to do that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. No, that's cool.
0: Yeah. Well, so this clip he says uh, iconography is the future of art because it is the history of art. I would,
1: let me clarify. He doesn't say iconography. He says liturgical art is the future of art. You quoted him. I did. I wanted to write that down. So I think, because I think iconography is most definitely not the future of art. Fair (laughs) enough. (laughs)
0: precision of speech. But I think, I think
1: liturgical art, I like, I I can definitely, and again, I'm not an expert just as someone, I'm an enthusiast, but I, I think it's really worth entertaining that idea that liturgical art might be the future of art. Yeah.
0: So entertain that idea. How could it be possible? I mean, it, so I, I would imagine that most people hearing that sentence for the first time would say, what a dumb person who could possibly (laughs) think that that's true. But Mark Harley is here to tell you that it's actually worth entertaining. Well, I think
1: that there's, there are a number of contemporary examples of that and it's not, and it's liturgical. Um, and maybe we should define that, what liturgical means. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's easy to, from as, as in our context of like a podcast for a church, right? Like we're thinking about, Oh, liturgy, like how a congregation, you know, engages one another, engages with God. Um, and I think that idea, right, of, um, well, yeah. So if, if you're thinking about what liturgy might look like, like a liturgical um, artwork might look like outside of a church, that is already happening. Um, for instance, there's a artist named um, Thomas Hirschhorn, and he, uh, I'll pull it up here. He made a piece called the gramsci 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 monument um and this is from the this was going on while i was working at the dia art foundation and it's this basically this um this monument in the bronx that everyone came together to basically contribute in building this it's like this whole infrastructure that took place at these at these housing apartments um in the bronx and and liturgical in the sense of everyone like there were hundreds and hundreds of people that helped construct it okay right and without getting into like all the details about like what's driving this work i would think i would argue that this was a form of liturgical art happening in the sec in a secular space right like that idea of bringing people together connecting them to something that's greater than themselves Mm. and so so i've I've pulled up the artwork here for for steve to look at but all it basically is is these weird, kind of, uh, really what looked like kind of poorly constructed plywood structures, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and there's like tarps and things like that everywhere. And it was this whole sort of event that happened for I don't I don't remember exactly how many days it was happening. I should have been more prepared. I just thought about it. Um, it went on for a couple of days or a couple of months, um, in the South Bronx, and then it came down. It was just this sort of uh, temporary what he called a monument and it really it's the kind of thing that like if you just walked up to it you might mistake it for just like a construction site you know like an abandoned construction site
0: more like a a homeless um kind of like tent city
1: right but i mean we're looking at a new york times article like a review about it right so like Mm -hmm. it was a definitely like a prominent work of contemporary art that was um i don't even know if thomas hirshhorn constructed any of it himself other than just actually coordinating people to do it and again it's that idea of um, bringing people from a community together right and having them engage with something and then ultimately pointing them at something bigger than themselves so i think that i think that kind of proves jonathan pejo's argument Mm -hmm. that like this is something that is infused uh, but it is separate from the church
0: Yeah. Right. Right. Well, and I, and I don't know about the specific piece or not. You would know more than me. I also like definitely when I think about when I, if I were to use the phrase liturgical art, Mm -hmm. I would not necessarily require that to be something that's used in a Sunday morning service for the church gathered together. Right. But I would think about something that is in some way, shape or form pointing people towards God or like engaging people with the spirit in some sort of like, yeah, I don't know, like some sort of directive, you know what I mean? Like, so again, like, yeah, the, like iconography or, um, you know, a worship song. Like those are two obvious examples of, um, in different ways, inviting people to engage in some sort of art form that specifically directs our attention, our heart, our mind towards God in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. um, I don't know if this does that necessarily, right
1: Right. No, it doesn't. I don't know that it does. I mean, I think another example um, of that type of concept concept exist, existing in secular art space mm-hmm. would be uh, a lot of most of the work argue, I would argue of the artist Solowit, who, um, back in like the I think it was like 1960, 1961, 62, he um, began making these wall drawings and basically um and so i've I pulled them up here they started as these very very simple grid drawings
0: you showed me this guy before
1: i'm i think i have yeah the albright knox has some of it in his collection um and yeah so they're they basically looked like this it's just like these simple squares with lines going in one direction and then lines going in two and three and four and eventually it looks like just kind of like a doodle you would make on like a notebook or something right exactly right? and so these were these most of the time were not actually executed by Saul Wit. It was like he would he, he would develop these instructions, mm. and then the museum staff would create them. So like he talked about it as being like what basically creating this um, space where like he, he wanted to challenge the like uh, barrier between like music and visual art. It was like why why can't a piece of visual art exist like a sheet of music does, where you know you. The, the composer isn't there to like make sure that like every gotcha. orchestra is performing it, you know, like it, he composes a work and it travels and it can be performed anywhere. And that a visual art, like a, a work of visual art could also, so it's kind of like created that way s-
0: somewhere. It's a, di- a little more highbrow than paint by numbers, but it's kind of, yeah, the, no, but that.
1: I would actually not any more highbrow than paint by okay. numbers. Right. And I don't think he would either. Um, and so like that I would think is a form of Well, it's paint art. by
0: numbers but it also includes instructions on how to draw the lines before you fill in. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Like there there are very very precise instructions for sure. Um and so like there's there's a Solowitz at the Albright Knox. Um that looks like this when you're going up the stairwell and it's actually really easy to miss. You just you could sort of, you know, presume that it's just part of the stairwell or something like that. It's just just scribble. it's basically just pencil scribbled until it becomes this kind of like weird gradient. Yeah, um, that's it's really all you're looking at. Odd. It's not precious, right? It's There's odd. It's
0: uh, odd um, wallpaper is all it is. Yeah, that's what it would
1: look like. <laughs> you would easily mistake it for wallpaper, but when you when you get closer to it, like so, when you're walking down the steps and you're like up against the wall, you can see that it is. It's just graphite, right? It's pencil that's just been squ- scribbled by. So what I'm hearing
0: you say though, is that like the liturgical nature of something like this for you is in capturing. Well, so like when you think about worship music on a, on a corporate scale, right. Where, um, you know, you're gathering together a group of people to sing Mm -hmm. to God. Um, so they're engaged in art, but really they're engaged in communal art. And so that's, that's what you're pointing at here is that sense of pulling a group of people together in some sort of act of creation or service or work that is about something creative together.
1: Right. I think, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's part of the a big component of how I would define that.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's helpful that I, I probably wouldn't have thought about that aspect of liturgical art. I, de- I mean, that's I, an important part of worship mm-hmm. or how I would think about corporate worship for Sure. Um, but I guess maybe the thing, the thing that I think is, has to be a part of the conversation as I, at least as I understand Peugeot and what he's saying is the sense of sacred. Mm-hmm. That's also, so like, talk more about that. Like, I mean, this to yeah. me, this doesn't, to me seem to point at something sacred necessarily. It's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. It's visually interesting. The story of how it got created is also compelling. Like yeah. I, I wouldn't you know, again, I wouldn't pay to have my house done that way right. <laughs> or I yeah, wouldn't yeah, right, pay. Right. I mean, I might pay a buck to go see it at the Albright Knox or whatever, you know what I mean? But like, right. it's not something that I would, whereas, you know, m- like my experience of God and worship definitely feels valuable to me at a level that is way more transcendent than like looking at this picture or even I'm sure I, it would feel more compelling to be there in the space for sure. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so talk about oh, that.
1: Right. Um, Yeah. And how does he put it in that clip where he's talking about the sacred? I'm trying to remember how he said it exactly.
0: I don't know that he explicitly references it there or not. I mean, that's just what I'm pulling from and I'll, you know, we probably shouldn't play the clip again right now. No, 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 definitely (laughs) not.
1: I'm trying to just make sure I don't miss that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a big, that is a big question that, I mean, if you're looking at it through the lens of, um you know like worship music something happens right like something that is kind of hard to describe and Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen all the time Mm -hmm. you know like when whether it's like when it's a song that like you know very well or that there's like you it's you know a, a powerful whether it's just a powerful phrase or something to be singing and to be singing in a room with other people it, it like unlocks this thing, mm-hmm. right? You get goosebumps mm-hmm. <laughs> to be like very descriptive. Mm-hmm. Like does it give you goosebumps or not?
0: And I would add just to, just to clarify that this form, like that experience of, you know, whatever you want to say, like I would just describe it as experiencing God's presence in worship yeah. is not connected in any meaningful way for me to how, how good the musicians are, how good the singers in the congregation are. Right. How new or old or well crafted the song is. How creative the song is. How boring the song. Like it's none of that. Yeah, none of that actually matters. Right for that experience of God in worship. At least in my experience, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to have talented singers and a talented congregation and creative songs and good songs, right. but just that it it actually isn't about that.
1: Right. Yeah, and so I mean there's a lot of questions that come up with that. Like what what are So if it's not about the qualities of of the song <laughs> of the art, right? If it's not about the qualities <laughs> right. of the song or of the art, what is it about it that makes it sacred? Right? So
0: for me, it's about the presence of God and the fact that I'm attending to his presence. Mm-hmm. Coupled with and so I mean that's something that obviously happens you know, when I'm by myself, but then to do that with a community of people who are all doing it at the same time mm-hmm. is a uniquely powerful experience. Yeah. And that certainly takes place for me at times when we're singing together, there's other times that that also happens as well in a corporate setting, whether it's prayer or something else. But I think that experience of corporate worship, that's what that is for me as being in a room full of people where God is present and we're aware of God's presence and we're attending to God's presence together. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I've just had some really incredible experiences with God that are more, they're more than just, you know, like an emotional experience. There's, there's, there's just more going
1: on. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, it's pointing you at something bigger than yourself.
0: Well, yes, and that thing sometimes will point back. Yeah, right. That's like, also yeah, right, where you're like, "Oh, okay. So and then this like changed the course of my life forever."
1: Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a little bit harder to think about how that manifests itself in in visual arts, you know? There's I I could certainly point at some some works that I've like seen in person that have evoked that same type of response. Um, I mean, one in particular was, um, there's, uh, this artist named Charles Ray, mm. who he, um, he's a sculptor and he tried to describe this sculpture. He, he basically makes these like cat. Uh, they're like these metal casts, this was a few years ago. Um, it's maybe five or six years ago uh, in New York. Can't remember exactly what the piece was called, but he makes some of these um, very descri- like uh, descriptive like casts of. They look like basically like casts of people, <laughs> right? And um, there was one in particular, and they're made out of metal, and they're not very descript. They look really. Um, they they look really bad, kind of like they look (laughs) like they're um kind of like if like a like a Greek like an old Greek uh sculpture was like cast in metal and like it didn't get all the details and it's really smooth and um, but some of sometimes some of his sculptures are slightly.
0: You told me about this
1: guy smaller scale than than like human scale, like it's just slightly off, and so you walk in and. can't quite put my finger on what's (laughs) off about this. Like I'm slightly bigger than this person or I'm slightly Mm. smaller than this person. And he, his, his, he talks about a lot of different aspects of his work. But one of the things I remember hearing him talk about was like that notion of like, we're born like a sculpt, like a sculpture, you know, we're born into this world. We're like born into this space and we learn about it as we go. You know, like we're learning about physics and gravity and scale and texture and like we're just like and, and that's like the work of a sculptor right is to be just like engaging with that mystery you know mm-hmm. and hearing him talk about that and seeing his work definitely invoked that you're just like wow we are these specific beings right like we were created in a very specific way um, and that felt like worship to me in that moment It gave me goosebumps you know like wow yeah. we're, we're created at this and I'm I'm not talking about like individually I'm talking about like yeah like as as people like God created us to exist in this world in a specific way and um and there's you just feel I felt that tension going back and forth between that um so
0: that totally reminds me of I'd have to go back and reread it to really draw the application well here but have you read the space trilogy by C.S.
1: Lewis no I haven't okay
0: so in the third book um called that hideous strength Mm -hmm. uh there's this guy who's ba- basically, so there's like the, the, he doesn't call them demons and angels, sure. um, but there's, they're, they're like aliens, <laughs> yeah. but they're demons and angels. <laughs> uh, anyway. So there's, there's these, these, these like alien beings who have like taken over some people mm-hmm. who are then trying to like break down this guy's will and resistance to essentially like get him to submit to these like demonic alien powers. Yeah. But they use art Yeah. and they use art that has these like, Incredibly subtle, but like strange mm-hmm. kinds of you know uh, dimensions, or like in one one the yeah. one specifically, there's like this room that's got dots painted on it. But the more he pays attention to what's going on with the dots in the art, the more it like freaks him out and like kind of makes him like right.
1: <laughs> it's like dr- driving him nuts. Anyway, yeah, I right. don't know. Well, and so that that's helpful. I, I think um, hopefully we're doing the opposite of that.
2: right <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs>
1: Um, I think that that gets at that. There are ways that, um, you know, I, th- I think as maybe the, t- the tendency has been to rely too heavily on worship music. Yeah. Sure. church Right. Like, and specifically within like our like evangelical context of the last like 30 to 40 right. 50 years. Right. Specifically in that context, it's like we've thrown all our eggs in that basket. of Like worship music is our way of engaging with God. And that, 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 Works really well most of the time, right? But there are other aspects about being human that I think, (laughs) you know, engaging with a painting or engaging with a sculpture that unlocks this other way of like worshiping of just like having a sense of of our physicality and our spatial existence within other, like between one another. That that's also worship too. Yeah. No, hundred
0: percent. I mean, I think what
1: it's more complex.
0: Yes. I think this is maybe a broader point than just the one specifically about art and the sacred and worship. Mm -hmm. But I do think that everything that we do, really whatever decisions we make intentionally or unintentionally, they actually speak to our values and speak to our, you know, to our theology, to our Uh, you know, our eschatology, our (laughs) ecclesiology, you know what I mean? Like all of it is, is, is a manifestation, you know, all of the decisions we make are a manifestation of those things. And so, you know, when you think about, I mean, even just the, the way in which, you know, a generation ago and still in some churches to this day, you show up in your, your best suit, you know, and that says something and that's not a bad thing. There's something positive about that. It can have, it can have a dark side, a shadow side, Mm -hmm and then same thing like within the context of our church you just dress however you want you know and again that says something and it communicates something and there could be a dark side to that too but sure. it's like there like that's an intentional decision that our community has made about how we want to approach god in worship that has hopefully intentionally communicative value it's like an intentional choice about manifesting our values before god mm-hmm. um And again, that's broader than just art and worship, but it's still like, I think kind of the point that you're making. Yeah.
1: Hmm. I mean, I think it brings up questions too of like, what, like what's God's language? Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Well, yeah, man. So (laughs) I've heard this probably said multiple ways by multiple people over the years, but, but to that point, what is God's language that the gospel has not been effectively communicated into a culture until there is a thriving, healthy church community within the context of that culture, yeah. and so it's not enough to have somebody share a message in a language, or you know, uh, or even for a single person to to give their lives to Christ from within a specific context, or to translate the Bible into a language, or like all of that's good, but that's not enough. What's really necessary for God to have communicated His heart to a people? is a community of people who are living for him within the context of a specific mm-hmm. culture. And so like to answer your question, what is God's language? It's the church. Yeah. The people of God living out their faith in God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's his language. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that or not, but I just said it.
2: <laughs> well, I, yeah. I mean, I
0: think that that's, there's something true about it. Definitely. Yeah.
1: I mean, I I think a lot, and you and I have talked a little bit about this every now and then. But the, I think a lot when I'm thinking about like the aesthetics, like specifically, if we're talking about like God's language, and like I also think a lot about like, like aesthetics of as they relate to God and our Mm -hmm. expression of of Christianity. I think a lot about uh, the tabernacle. Yeah, you know, like the so, like it. You can't read through that like second half of, or that second part of Exodus and like with all this attention to detail around like quality of minerals and wood and different types of things and strict measurements and not think that like, Oh wow, God definitely cares about aesthetics. Right? Well,
0: so you just said that you can't read through that without thinking that, but I actually have read through that without thinking <laughs> that, which, which just displays how little I care about aesthetics, <laughs> but, and not, but I just, to be, to be yeah. fair the reason we're having this conversation is because I care so little about aesthetics and I recognize it as a deficiency. within myself.
1: Well, I think, and you and I have talked about this too, that that's only part of it, right? Like, right. I think like there is definitely a temptation to get hung up on that and that, you know, the Exodus, the book of Exodus is this kind of crazy. The first half is like this crazy adventure, probably the best story ever told, mm-hmm. right? Of like harrowing escape. And uh, and then it immediately transitions into like law and architecture, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. It's like wow, that's a, that's a whole gamut. other podcast I or know. two. We
1: won't we won't open that can of worms, but I think that that's kind of related to what we're talking about, right? Like, I mean, that was a form of liturgical art, right? Of like, how is like how's the temple set up? What does it look like? What do the priests wear? Mm-hmm. Where are the altars placed, and why? And all these things. And I think that you know, Jonathan Peugeot is. I think even like the art, contemporary art culture is based off of that ancient infrastructure, right? You know, and that's important to God.
0: Yep, for sure. <laughs> well, so maybe we could. Um, uh, in in the in the clip, he he does point at you know Harry Potter, Batman, Star Wars, mm-hmm. and he does a lot with that. Like some of his videos um, and podcasts that I've listened to are devoted completely to discussing um kind of cultural phenomenon either within the art world or even yeah. i guess it would be the art world he was talking about um what was the little nas x is that the guy with the satan shoes i don't know what oh, okay. anyway about. yeah right so again amanda if you're listening <laughs> google satan shoes oh, man. right um which i wouldn't have known anything about except for the internet blew up about it i'm like satan shoes, what are satan oh, shoes? Man. so so that's not even necessarily i mean the guy is a he's a musician who yeah. did this Thing with the satan shoes um and then and then got sued by oh. nike did you hear about that yes he's the guy so he did the song the like cowboy hip-hop song yep. that came out like a year yeah, or two yeah. ago that the was his fir- right yeah so that guy which i think that was his first real song and he got famous yeah. well then he did another song that came out like a month ago and the the like i've watched the the music Just video went the other direction did you have you seen it no oh my gosh the the <laughs> So we would not be allowed to show this music video in church for sure. (laughs) The fact that my kids have seen it, the fact that I've seen it disturbs me. The fact that my kids have seen it disturbs me (laughs) anyway, whatever. That's a sidebar anyway. So the point is like Jonathan Pajot, like he did a video kind of thinking about all of that stuff through the lens of symbolism Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, you know what that says about, um, about art and about us and about culture. Um, so yeah, so I'd, I'd love to to put, so even though he doesn't get into it that deep in that two minute clip, he does point at those things. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Like how is Batman an icon? How is, you know, Harry Potter and star Wars being seen as a religion by people? How does that speak somehow to the role of art in, you know, what it, what it means to be human and what it means to be Christian
1: yeah i mean i think when i hear him say that what i hear him talking about is i hear him talking about the medium you Mm -hmm. know so like he's not talking about star like i think he says star wars too like you know people treating star wars like a religion or whatever and i think that he's not talking about specifically star wars or batman he is talking about the the various media that are produced around that content right Mm -hmm. so like whether it's like the Star Wars films and like the incredible amount of like artistic uh, direction and execution and craftsmanship that goes into creating these characters and these stories that then get translated into posters and action figures and mm-hmm. all that. I think he's, I hear him talking about just like that medium you know
0: well so he he actually this isn't in that clip yeah. so so it's unfair for me to expect you to have known this but he actually does talk specifically in some of his other podcasts about how there are people who have like who practice like jediism mm. who like right. actually yeah, call yeah. themselves like sure. jedis you know mm-hmm. and there are people who will gather weekly to read harry potter together as an act of devotion using some of the books as scripture mm. And we'll talk about it in those terms. Sure. And again, it's hard to tell like how much of that is people just having fun and being you know kind of tongue in cheek about it, and how much sure. of that is people actually. I don't. I don't know how. Treating it like a religion. Yeah, I don't know if you pray to Yoda or what, right. whatever. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but like channeling the force. You know. I don't know. But, yeah. But so, so I think I think he 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 does get into that. So I, anyway, sorry I interrupted you.
1: No, no, and like I'm I'm just thinking about it specifically through like an artistic framework. You mm. know, of like yeah like i I think his argument holds up in terms of you're thinking about i mean for the star wars movies in particular right you've got like someone like steven spielberg who's like one of the you know one of our culture's greatest filmmakers Mm -hmm. dedicating a tremendous amount of time and resources on this narrative you know and i know that there's people who do um comparisons about like star wars and the gospel and things like that right but like all that aside, just like just the amount of artistic resources and things that are that are thrown at those types of cultural things. It's Does that make sense? Of, yeah,
0: the equivalent of like a cathedral. in sure. the, the Middle Ages. Yeah. It right.
1: Exactly. I mean, like that to Four me. Four
0: generations of. Right. Resources.
1: Right. I mean, and I think that kind of points at the sort of divide between mm. the church and culture that we were talking about last in the last conversation. Um, you know, like. I, without, I have no nothing to back this up, but like you know, thinking through the like, what are some of those differences between, let's say, the Star Wars trilogy and the Sistine Chapel? You
0: know, mm.
1: I think there's a lot of relation there, and Jonathan Pajot, I think, would um, argue that they're related, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that they're certainly related. Uh, so that's kind of what I think when just listening to him say that, that's kind of what I hear him saying. Um, you know, and like yeah, there I. I don't think I'm qualified to get into the content of of all those stories and all those icons about like what makes those like w- what is it about them that we t- why we turn them into gods and things like that. Hmm. Um, I think that's more of the pastoral question. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, Mark, let me tell you.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you
0: go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I promised not to do that. Oh. I apologize um does that hmm. make sense does yeah, that answer your no, question it does i mean yes I, I you know we could talk more. i just answer most of your
1: questions with more questions right. i feel like
0: it's very christ like of you
1: <laughs> i think um it's a deeply uh, it's like
0: christian jujitsu that's right <laughs> <laughs> but we learned it from jesus so it's okay there
1: you go i think um the other thing that he brings up in this too uh is yeah. So like really I, I I took this note too related to the that sort of tail end of that conversation is he talks about, you know, it, it's, it's all connected to this history of like liturgical art stemming from like Christian culture. Um, even if it, he, he uses those words of like, even if it's like moving away from it or if he, I think right. he calls it a perversion right. of that. Right. And I think that you could, you could point at some of those things that we've talked about, like Star Wars or whatever, and say that, and like use that term, like a perversion of, of iconography or whatever. And I think that's a helpful way to be thinking about it.
0: Yeah, um,
1: It's a complex, that's a whole complex thing to sort of unpack, but specifically from the art making context of it. I think that argument holds up.
0: Well, so maybe, and we, we could end with this, this question and spend some time talking about it. Um, so I think we ended our last podcast talking about maybe a little bit of the way the church could engage with individual Christian artists and individual Christian artists could engage with the church. But, um, I wonder what you would say the role of, um, kind of like Christian art, Christian art and Christian artists and the church as kind of like a backer for, you know, however we want to define Christian art, but like, what is the role of all of that in our world in secular space? And, you know, I mean, definitely, there probably aren't too many non Christians buying like a Thomas Kincaid, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know right. what I mean. And there definitely aren't too many non Christians, you know, buying worship albums, mm-hmm. right? So, um, what what? So so it clearly doesn't look like those two things.
1: Yeah, I don't think so.
0: Right. So, what should it look like for? christians who have some sort of artistic vocation or for the church as a whole who recognizes art as at least a part of its vocation yeah um what does it look like for us to engage in for us the church for christians for christian artists to engage in art in secular spaces as a part of a christian vocation to do art
1: yeah Uh, i think the first answer i'd have for that is something we touched on a little bit during our last conversation but the idea of the church being less interested in the art more interested in the christian artists mm. right like less interested in christian art more interested in a christian artist that to me seems like a pretty important distinction you know um that a, a church community like such as ours for instance right would be investing in and in caring for artists in their community and like whatever that looks like right like pastoring them or Maybe giving them even resources to, to create Bu- work, buying their like art, <laughs> buying their artwork, right? <laughs> Patronizing God's economy. Thinking yeah. about God's economy. Yeah, um,
0: I know a few who are a few artists in our church who, if they heard right. that, they would probably shout "Amen." <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think that that's part of it, right? No, you know? totally, yeah. Like the the f- like support would include financial support, you know, and that could be things like, um and maybe even looking to the secular art world as a way of getting creative with ways that of supporting artists, mm-hmm. you know, like plenty of uh, organizations have like artists in residence programs, things like that. And there are Christian organizations that do that. Um, but just thinking like that, I don't know. I think that that's a So I like that. I do want to ask
0: though, if you think that applies so that like, if we're thinking about how the church should engage mm-hmm. in the art world well, the church should be engaging in its Christian artists mm-hmm. um or supporting them. But what like I'm more interested in like the the vocation of doing art. So, you know, if you were to think of yourself as a Christian artist, yeah. so that you're like, Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna work for the church anymore. I'm just gonna go be a Christian artist because I've got this like rich benefactor who wants me to do it and I've decided that's really what I should be doing with my life. Yeah. Like how do you think about what you're doing and what is your like what do you what do you yeah, what do you? What are you trying to accomplish? Maybe, maybe that's not how an artist would think about what they're doing. But yeah,
1: um, no, I, I think that is how an artist would be thinking about it. Um,
0: that's good. That means you aren't quite as strange as I thought you might be. Yeah, right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think. Uh, I mean, the. <laughs> I think it, it asks the question about like curiosity. Mm. You know, like I think. like how curious are we about the world instead of prescriptive? Maybe you know what I mean? I think that, and that's I think kind of really what I'm getting at when I say like being interested in Christian artists, not Christian art, but creating, you know um, cultivating artists who are genuinely curious about the world that they're in. Right. And, and like for us, like genuinely curious about our city, about our neighborhood, about our neighbors, mm-hmm. you know, about, about a place, a specific place that they feel like um, God has put them in or, um, and then with that curiosity, communicating whatever it is that you feel like you need, like you would need to communicate well, right? Like like yeah. being a good communicator. Um, does that make sense?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 for sure. I mean, what I heard you say is being curious but then also helping people to see some of the things that you see, maybe to awaken curiosity in others.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, as, as Christians, like we, we feel like we've got, um, just like a, I don't know, like a, a really important sense of hope and things like that, that we bring to a community mm-hmm. and being able to communicate that through other forms is important.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: And also not easy. (laughs) And therefore the like the time and uh, like resources and things like that are are important. That's where that I think plays in. But I think that's how I would back that up. Like, yeah. Are are we, are we a community of people that's really cultivating, you know, curiosity? Are we able to look at the world the way that God wants us to look at the world? You know? Um, And are we able to, communicate what we feel like we're learning about that that's what i would say Makes sense mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah i'm trying to think i mean <laughs> i feel like it's a good good answer <laughs> yeah I, i'm glad
1: yeah. um i like i feel like there's examples of this in our community i could point at that i think are really like interesting and i would i would i think not that i'm the ultimate judge but i think they're good good ways of, of trying to pull that off. Like one would be someone right like within our church community of, uh, Cornelia, uh, Peck. right. Is that how you say her last name? Dosapek. She, a couple of years ago, she made those, um, benches at Broderick park. Have you ever seen those? No,
0: actually, I actually haven't. I've seen plenty of her pieces, but I haven't seen the benches.
1: So she was commissioned Which one's
0: Broderick park
1: at the end of ferry. At oh ferry yeah. Street, okay. Right? Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I think she was commissioned by the city to, huh. So these I probably benches. sat on them. You probably have. <laughs> Which is a great like that is like the definition of liturgical art, right? Like <laughs> it's not a distraction, right? We've talked about that. Yeah, that's fair. Um yeah, she has this I, I I run by them. I run like every day, so I I run by them and uh yeah, they're just these they're these really beautiful uh not like they're very simple like cast concrete with um with a little pattern on the top. And I, I believe, I don't want to speak too much about it because I don't know a ton about it, but I believe it's Native American pattern hmm. on the top. And then it's all specifically related to that. I mean, that, that island has just this incredible history of, yeah. um, I mean, of Native American occupation and residence and then also um, its connection to the Underground Railroad. And I know that she's done a ton of research and, and yeah. that informs a lot of her work. And as,
0: a, as opposed to its current use. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just a prime fishing spot. <laughs> and the sewer <laughs> treatment plant. Well,
0: oh, this this is a beautiful space. What happens here? Oh, yeah. This is where we take all of the stuff that everybody is done with. No kidding. And we let it sit in a pond. Oh.
1: <laughs> that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> but she
0: talk about a place that needs some art. <laughs> right.
1: At the very least. So I don't know, and like knowing Cornelia and, and like her involvement with our church, like it's not this overly oppressive, prescriptive thing, right? It's just a place that is like really just adding to this environment that if you if you're looking, it just kind of carries your curiosity a little bit further, you know? It no, that's it, cool. It, asks, it make it kind of encourages you to ask some questions about your environment, about our world, right?
0: So I, I like that. I mean, I think. I I'll, I'll think about that. You've used, you've used the term curiosity in connection with art before in mm-hmm. our conversations, but that was way more explicit. Um, and when you were talking, I just was thinking about how, you know, curiosity is what drives a lot of the scientific community. Curiosity is what drives, I mean, even like as a pastor connecting to my neighbors or to people in the church mm-hmm. or to culture, like curiosity is what drives a lot of that, you know? So just thinking about, curiosity within the context of art it's kind of like well what is the unique lens that god has given you onto the world and then what that means is that that's kind of like the the venue for your curiosity into what god has made and where god is directing you and like for an artist that is that venue Mm -hmm. you know whether it's visual medium or stories or music or but it's about exploring what god has created and
1: right and i think that the artist's role within the church could be is is that that can help just help people also uh, cultivate curiosity in their right. own lives right in their Get own curious. relationship yeah i mean that's really important
0: mhm it is <laughs> it's very important. important well and yeah and when i mean we we should end soon mm-hmm. but i just think when you when you meet people who lack curiosity it's Disturbing is too strong a word, but <laughs> it's disappointing.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I do think that, um, I, and I don't know, this is just within my own relationship with the church, but I think that I've encountered a lot of people within the, within the churches I've been a part of that aren't curious. You
0: know? Specifically about... Art, but probably lots of other things too. Yeah. Like
1: specifically about art. Sure. But also just about just like our environment, our world, you know,
0: I mean, if we're going to be people, if we're going to be honest, I definitely have met plenty of people in the church who lack curiosity about God. Right. I mean, it, it, again, it's not a fun thing to think about, but even the, th- I mean, for, for, I mean, it, I mean, I can be guilty of it too, that. The practice of our faith is about assurance instead of, um, you know, the pursuit of something bigger than ourselves that there's no way we could fully map in our lifetime. And so like, that should be, there should be a ton of curiosity about that instead of some sort of settled sense I've of having all the, out. right, exactly. Cause
1: then doesn't that, yeah, I mean, doesn't, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think that the if you If you're not curious, there's the temptation to feel like you've got it all figured out, you know, and that's mm-hmm. that like yeah, and I think that's the thing that you talk about in worship where sometimes you're like, oh, like you get this sense of uh, like worship music is is a great avenue to, to sometimes conjure up that curiosity. Um, yeah, if you're not curious, I don't know, I just feel like God wants us to keep learning more about him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: you know, that there's a lot to learn. All the time. All the time.
0: Yep. Well, so you have any, any closing thoughts? We're like closing in on an hour here. Perfect. For podcast number two. That's a good, that's a good. I think so. Yeah. I think we need a a third person if we're going to go for like two hours, Mm -hmm. maybe. I would agree. Yep. We're just joking. Amanda, you have to come join (laughs) us now. (laughs) That's going to be the running joke for the life of the podcast. That's right. Anything else you want to add or ask?
1: Mm. No, I just think that that, like, I don't know. I'm glad we got there. I think that curiosity is a really good way to, to, to end that on. I mean, it's curiosity, part of your theology, you know? Yeah. I think that's kind of what it's about. Yeah. Are we curious people?
0: All right. I got a question for you. This, yeah. will, this will be where we end. So if you and I are going to do another podcast together on some other topic, what are we talking about?
1: That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Just any topic. Right. Mm. I think the the curiosity thing probably needs more time.
0: Okay. Yeah. We could talk about the role of the, the intersection of curiosity and faith.
1: I think we probably opened up a can of worms there.
0: I think that's a great conversation. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that does, I mean, art will probably play a role in that, yeah, but it's way it's broader part of it. than
1: that. Way broader than that. There's our timeline. There you go. That's good. So that
0: for those of you that are listening, Amanda, <laughs> that's the sound of my wife calling me. <laughs> which to go home. Which that means <laughs> for those of you who don't know, that means it's time to end the podcast. Yep. That's <laughs> All perfect. right. Should I answer with her on No, I won't answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.